Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. I'm fighting with the microphone, trying to run away. I can understand why. But I looked in the mirror this morning at 5am or 6am when I woke up and I know why people run away. But the great thing about radio is it doesn't matter what you look like, it's what you talk about that's important. So I'm not going to be talking about dribble today and crap like MasterChef and Bachelor and all that crap. So obviously 96% of our listeners will now switch off and go onto the commercial media of the Government Guild at ABC. But those 4% that are left, I'm promising you a reasonable program. Again, you judge, I don't, I just talk. Okay, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchist society, well, it comes from the word anarchos, which means without rulers. Anarchos, without rulers. A society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? I mean, politics is mathematics. One plus one equals two. It doesn't equal three. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power. You share wealth. It's inequalities in power and wealth which create the institutional structures which keep rulers in power. So if you devolve power and share wealth, you have the situation where megalomaniacs like me and Mr Trump and Mr Boris Johnson can't dictate your lies. And that's what anarchy is all about. It's about ensuring their institutional structures which ensure that individuals and small groups of people cannot uh, manipulate society for their own personal gain. So, an interesting... Com- I've been away a week, as you know, and I had an interesting... Com- oh, lot nature week, you know, wombats and snow and rain and ice and... Ugh. All those horrible natural things, which hopefully with climate change will all disappear in the next 50 years or so. But uh, an interesting conversation. I met this old age pensioner who claimed they didn't pay tax. And I really had to um, kind of destroy their illusion. I said, mate, or was it a mateess? I can't remember. It was one of those nights. I said, look here, you pay more tax in percentage of income than any other group of people. Because, I don't know if you know that, that eight individuals own as much wealth as 3.5 billion people. So think about that, the kind of power that gives you having that amount of wealth. 
eight individuals own more than 3.5 billion people, which is half, 50% of the world's population. And in Australia, the top 1% earners own more than the bottom 50%. That's what's called inequality. But getting back to tax, I said, oh, no, I don't pay any tax. I said, yeah, sure, you don't pay income tax. You don't make enough money because you're on a pension. But in terms of percentage of your income, which goes in tax, you pay the highest percentage in the country. If you smoke, you pay tax. If you buy petrol, you pay tax. If you drink, you pay tax. And most importantly of all, if you use electricity or gas, you pay tax. It's called GST. If you need to buy a blanket or a heater, you pay tax. If you need to buy clothes, you pay tax. So if you're well off, these taxes kind of a part of daily living. You don't worry about them. But if you're relying on a new start of allowance of about, was it 270 a week, or a, a disability support pension, which is about 500 a week, including rent assistance, you may find at the end of the day that you may be paying 20, 30% of your income on tax. So everybody pays tax. And the richer you are, that's, the, that's why I love Australia. I love living in this country. I love being born in Queensland. Although, you've heard the term self-loathing Jews. Well, I think I'm a self-loathing Queenslander, but that's another thing. But I think I may have to change that because I've just had two new applications come in from Deception Bay in Queensland to join public interest before corporate interest. But getting back to what I was saying, the richer you are, the less tax you pay. And the great thing is, since the last federal election, we, we, the great unwashed, the great mass of the Australian people have agreed with our masters. We have kowtowed and we've said, that's right, you need to have a tax refund if you own more than one home. You need that tax refund. And we've said to the Australian people, you need to have a bit of welfare money if you own lots of shares, you know, you know, franking credits. You need it. It's good for you. So... We deserve what we get. At the end of the day, we deserve the government to get. And the great thing about travelling around Australia, and I love travelling around Australia, is the divisions which you see in society where you see people who should be out there at least voicing their concerns regarding particular situations, supporting the very institutions and individuals which are exploiting them on a daily basis, spitting in their face and laughing at them while they exploit them. And you see them hold on to these ideas. And you've got to wonder why. And I think I've worked it out. It's taken me 67, almost 68 years to work it out, but I think I've worked it out. It's very simple. In a capitalist society, how you survive, the type of life you're able to live, how comfortable you are, is basically dependent on income. Now, most Australians, about 50%, rely on a wage. About 8 to 10% rely on investments. And about 30% rely on Social Security benefits to survive. So it's this question about income. So we've got the ridiculous situation where we know that climate change poses real risks to humanity and people on this planet 
but you have people fighting tooth and nail to keep their jobs, right? It makes sense because in a capitalist society, you don't have income, you're stuffed. You don't get six weeks' wages, you can't pay your mortgage. You can't pay your mortgage, you've got to sell your place. Then you've got to find a place to rent. You can't pay your mortgage, you know, your kids have got to change school and the list goes on and on and on and on. So obviously, as radical activists, what we need to be looking at is this concept of income. How do we derive income and how is income shared? And in a situation where we have an increasing population growth, increasing automation and artificial intelligence, we have now reached the situation in our development as a species where we don't need everybody in the tribe to work in order for the tribe to survive. Now, many of the disputes which we now see, which have paralysed this society, whether it's disputes regarding you know, climate change, disputes regarding conservation, disputes regarding a sharing of wealth, disputes regarding New Start Allowance, and the list goes on and on, is directly linked to the wage system. So we should be looking at avenues and mechanisms via which we as a society and as a community can address this present problem. Because if we don't address the problem of income, we will continue to be divided and continue to fight tooth and nail to keep outdated methods of production which are harmful to us as a community going. So what do we propose? Because the anarchist world this week is just not about, you know, um, providing analysis. Anybody can provide analysis. You know, I could tell you that, uh, you know, if I baptise you in my swimming pool, you'll get eternal life. One, I haven't got a swimming pool. Two, I, I don't believe in baptism. Three, I don't believe in eternal life. But I could tell you that. So anybody, anybody can give an opinion. The key is how do you mould an opinion into a practical mechanism via which to tackle what I believe is the most significant problem facing us. Because the most significant problem may seem to be climate change initially, but if there is resistance against putting mechanisms in place to deal with climate change because people's livelihood and income and survival is at stake today, not in 10 years' time or 5 years' time or 20 years' time, then we need to be able to tackle that issue. And that issue of increasing population growth with automation and artificial intelligence where not everybody in society is required to be productive in order for society to function well needs to be addressed urgently because I think think, not believe. I mean, belief's useless. I mean, I could believe that a green cat controls the universe. So what? But I think, I think 
that there are two ways of approaching this issue. The first one is what's called a universal basic income. It's fancy words, aren't they? Universal basic income. A universal basic income is the foundation stone of economic freedom. Independence and personal security in a 21st century world. These ideas of a universal basic income are designed to overcome the structural inequalities that exist under the current economic system. Not just structural inequalities, but inequalities in terms of our ability as a unified society to tackle issues which pro which pose a significant threat to our survival as a species the introduction of a universal basic income is an effective answer to the problems caused by rapidly disappearing jobs in an increasingly automated society now this fake debate we're having currently about the new start allowance well, it should go up or stay the same when everybody knows you can't survive on $40 a day, especially if you've got to rent. Everybody knows that. And the whole purpose of a, you know, having a uh, new start allowance is to force people back into employment. But the reality is, is when you look at the figures of the 800,000 people in a new start allowance, it can take up to three years to find a job. And in some cases, five. And in some cases, five plus. And in the majority of cases, those jobs are poorly paid, insecure, part-time jobs. And people kind of drift into the uh, New Start allowance and drift out. And most importantly of all, we have a new category of people in this country. Not the working poor, but people who are pauperised by the federal government because of an inadequate New Start allowance to act as an example to everybody else. That's what it's about. It's about collective punishment. It's like people on Manus Island and Nauru. It's about collective punishment. Collective punishment. So... The important thing is, what is, how do you determine what should be a universal basic income? An income, you can determine by an independent tribunal that could be established by the whole of federal parliament, not just the government of the day. I mean, the way this tribunal could be uh, selected mirrors the processes used to establish current parliamentary committees. I mean, tax policy, and we all talk about tax, was in the last federal election about tax, $20 a week and we're all happy. Tax policy could be used to ensure only those who require assistance would benefit from a universal basic income. So individuals earning a universal basic income would pay no tax. 
A universal basic income would be determined by a parliamentary committee which would actually be advised by experts in the area about what is a living wage. Everybody would receive that universal basic income. Oh, I can see you kind of kind of collapse in a heap. Everybody? Yes, even billionaires if they wanted. Individuals who earn more than four times the universal basic income would pay it back in full when they pay their tax bill. Those that earn between between these two figures, that's the figure of you know four times and universal basic income, would pay it back on a sliding tax scale. And extra allowances would be paid for dependent children for people on the universal basic income. So if on the universal basic income, you get just on the universal basic income, you get extra allowance for dependent children. I mean, such a system almost single-handedly wipes out Centrelink. Because there are no checks and balances. The checks and balances occur at the end of the year when people lodge their tax returns. And it's not just based on a wage system, but it's based on your total income. So if you earn more than four times the universal basic income, whatever it's set out, say it's set out at $50,000 per person, and you earn $200,000, well, then you pay it all back at tax time. If you earn between... 200,000 and say 50,000, you'd pay it back, some of it back on a sliding scale. So you would not need all these social security uh, allowances and infrastructure which we now have. You could work for as much as you like, and if you earn more than 200,000, well, you pay it back. So such a system would drastically reduce the expenditure required to process and regulate a system based on means testing to t- determine who needs assistance. So it's looking at the system of Social Security in a back-to-front way. Everybody gets the universal basic income, then at tax time you pay it back if you've earned more than a particular amount. Ah, I can see you know, all you smart economic... Uh, gurus out there, and there must be at least two or three who listen to the program, maybe one. How do you fund it? How do you fund it? Well, we're already paying almost 35% of uh, taxable income on Social Security benefits. So how do you push it over the line? Well, you can generate over $150 billion today. Today. By introducing one, a 1% stock market turnover tax. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Instead of giving people franking credits, that if uh, at the end of the day on the stock exchange, if they've had a turnover of $4 billion, 1%, that's $400 million, goes to the taxpayer. Thank you very much. If it goes down 1%, $400 million goes to the taxpayer. Thank you very much. A 1% turnover company tax, so if your company or business turns over more than $2 million a year, you pay 1%. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Bingo. Many companies pay more than, you know, turnover. It's not an income tax because people, 
you know, like uh, Google and all these smart companies with their overseas offshoots, you know, uh, don't have any income because they take out loans from subsidiaries in the same company at exorbitant interest rates. But a 1% turnover tax is that. It is a turnover tax. It's a little bit like the tax which has been introduced for work, uh, for, you know, to fund workers' compensation around the country. A 1% financial services tax. Bingo. And then the removal of GST tax deductions for companies that have a yearly turnover greater than, say, than $5 million. I mean, why should people who earn less pay more taxes than people who earn more? This is not a some airy-fairy system. It is a system which is based on the satisfaction of human needs which can be funded today. Another way you could fund it, if you want to be a little bit more radical, I know this is radical, this is the type of thing you introduce into a capitalist economy, if you want to be a little bit more radical, you could actually nationalise, compulsorily nationalise with no... Compensation. Oh my God, I hear you say. This country's mineral resources. 2% of the population is involved in mineral extraction. Much of our income is derived from mineral extraction. We own the bloody stuff. You know, we stole it from the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, so we own it, you know, in conjunction with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So why... Do we need a third party to exploit it on our behalf and then pay us peanuts for the privilege of exploiting it on our behalf? Radical, isn't it? Not really. It's very simple. I mean, it's a very simple concept. It's happened around the world and continues to happen. Now, how about the economy itself? How are we going to approach that? Because today, and this is what you learn, and I learnt this when I travelled through Central Australia around Christmas, and I learnt this again, it was reinforced when I was travelling through Tasmania in the last week. Private enterprise has nothing of a big end to offer regional and rural Australia. People talk about farmers, and they talk about farming, Well, when they talk about, you know, drought relief funds, there are less than 110 individual agricultural farms left in this country. Most areas of rural production have been corporatized. Most areas. Not all, but most. And in every area, although there are people still surviving on the fringes, the groups that are making the profits have been those that have been corporatized. So we have, in Australia, everybody's been talking about the economic miracle and the job growth. Job growth in Australia over the last few years has not come from private sector. It can't come from the private sector because the private sector can't expand. And I'll explain that in a minute, why it can't expand. It comes from the public sector. It comes from more public servants. More private companies getting contracts from the uh, public sector to provide public services. 
That's where the growth in jobs has come from. And again, it's an illusory growth in jobs. So what do we need to introduce into the mix if you introduce a universal basic income? Well, you can introduce the idea of cooperatives and collectives. And the problem with cooperatives and collectives in today's society is they cannot gain money from most institutions in order to act as seeding funding to develop a business based on a cooperative or a collective model. So if we say earmark 1% of the trillion dollars which sits in today's superannuation funds, which is $100 million, I think. I think it is. $100 million. My maths isn't that brilliant. That's why I do economics, because my maths isn't brilliant. You need to have bad economics to, you know, to be an economist. I mean, bad maths to be an economist, because you rely on modelling, obviously, not reality. So the, you could provide, say, $100 million as seeding funding. It's not a gift. It's a loan. End of story. You can expand the economy. So it is a matter of political will. And as I said before at the beginning of the program, my concern is real because I cannot see Australian society pulling together in the same direction to address the problems we face as a community unless we address the problem of income. Because obviously, if you're involved in an industry that is producing greenhouse gases and that industry needs to close, you will do everything you can to maintain that job because the end of that industry means the end of your ability to earn an income. So the idea of a universal basic income not only provides for the day-to-day physical and spiritual necessities of people in a capitalist society, it also provides a mechanism via which we can address the serious problems that we face as individuals and as a community and as a nation. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. You can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. You can go anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, defend and extend public housing, public housing, everybody's business, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Okay, now, hopefully by the end of the week, the mass mail-out to PIPSI members on our policies will be completed and uh, members have till the end of September in order to get in their ballots. People need to, you know, take time to look at what they're voting on. It's not just this or that. These are policies. So I'd like to thank all those people who've sent in stamps who've made the mass mail-out possible. Your um, contribution is appreciated and I will, over the next few weeks, acknowledge people individually in writing uh, when I write back to them. Obviously, it's a little bit difficult to do it all at once, but it will be done. Now, why another political party? 
Oh, that's simple. Simple, easy peasy. I mean, I don't think that parliamentary democracy is the answer to anything, but I do do believe we need to be in the game, and I'll tell you why. Now, there were changes to the electoral laws which now make it almost make it very difficult for independents and minor political parties to gain a Senate seat. And so we've got, you know, kind of a three, you know, three or four way little exercise. Now, people talk about the crossbenches and the power the crossbenches have. Now, when you look at the crossbenches we have currently, you will see that all the crossbenches push an authoritarian line. You've got Divided Nation under Pauline Hanson, two Senate seats. You've got the Centre Alliance, which seems to be a uh, you know liberal, seems to be a little bit more liberal part of the Liberal Party, which normally votes with the Liberal Party, as we've seen with the uh, drought assistance uh, business and uh, you know this so-called uh, terrorist law, which I'm going to speak about in a minute. And and so. So there is a need for crossbenchers in the Senate which provide an alternative to the current conservative, reactionary, neoliberal, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation, privatisation ideology which seems to be the bread and butter, the rice of the parliamentary system. So not only do we need a movement on the ground, we also need a a direct political movement which actually makes inroads into parliament. So public interest before corporate interest was formed in 2015 for that very reason. Now, we'd like to be registered as a federal political party. We need another 100 or so members. So if you'd like to become a member of Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, I would recommend you go to the website, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. If you like what you see, download the application form, have a look at it. If you're not on the internet, you can always give me a call on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Or you can write to me at post office box 20. Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. But the key is that if you've got options, irrespective of the corporate-owned media, the lies which generate by the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, irrespective, there's always the potential to actually have an influence on laws. And irrespective of whether you believe in the parliamentary system or not, it is important that we have that potential to block many of the laws which are seen that are coming in today. Now, people think the seat of power in this country is in federal parliament. And I keep talking about that the seat of power in this country is it belongs to the 1% who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. For the last decade, 
in this country who've seen a new group which is able to exercise extraordinary power and that is the Australian Federal Police. Because of legislation which continues to be pushed through Parliament with minimal resistance from the uh, alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the Australian Labor Party, which removes what few rights and liberties we have. Now, the latest piece of legislation which has gone through Parliament is just extraordinary. Now, the Home Affairs Minister, which currently is Mr Peter Dutton, now has the legal power, the personal legal power, to exclude citizens, not the residents, citizens, people born in this country or people who have earned their citizenship, from returning to this country because they are suspected, keyword suspected, of posing a security risk. What a grab phrase. What a bucket. What a huge net. Suspected of posing a security risk. You go to a conference overseas... Peter says, sorry, Joe, you can't come back. That was an anarchist conference. That was a conference for you know, the Communist Party or a socialist group. And I think that you pose a security threat to Australia. Bang. Door slammed shut. The people say, oh, we've got all these terrorists out there that are coming back home. We do have laws where people can be arrested when they return to the country at the bloody airport. We have a computerised system which has amassed an extraordinary amount of data with the megadata laws that have just come into place on every individual. This is a law that has been introduced one to heighten the fear factor in this country as a political ploy. But two, and this is where you have to look at it, and I'll I'll explain why it's so important, that can prevent Australians going overseas, going about their everyday business, being involved in discussions and conferences, prevented, they can be prevented from returning home because the because the Home Affairs Minister, in this case Mr Dutton, believes, or suspects, not even believes, suspects they may pose a security risk. Not that they are a terrorist risk. They may pose a security risk. And although you've got supposedly a retired judge looking at it, by the time they look at it, the two years are up. And that's the way it works. So it's a great way which deny people entry back into the country. And if you think I'm joking, look at the jumping up and down by journalists currently who are now finding the megadata laws which have been introduced lays them open to criminal prosecution. 
That's right. Investigations into journalists, investigations, charges. Before you know it, we'll have bloody camps once again at Woomera to hold and detain political dissidents. In the past, it was, you know, asylum seekers. Now it'll be political dissidents. And if you think I'm joking, what is the next piece of legislation which is about to wind its way through federal parliament? And it will depend... That's right. It will depend on the centre alliance, that, you know, wimpy little, you know, centre group, which is basically a Liberal Party front, and the Jappy and Jackie Lambie to block the legislation. What is this legislation I'm talking about? It's legislation that will be put in place which will allow the government at will to deregister any union it likes at any time it likes for the most insignificant trans transgressions like going onto a building site to check on worker safety. Extraordinary stuff. Extraordinary stuff. Now, we've seen legislation in the last two decades which has removed the tooth, the teeth, the claws, the teeth and the claws from the trade union movement. You know, it's basically little more than a little baby these days. But now the government's come in for the kill. They've been unexpectedly re-elected. They're going to come in for the kill and they want to euthanise, you know, this useless little trade union baby because it may grow up one day if they people, you know, develop a spine into a resistance. A little bit like the Chinese Communist Party, you know, destroying any sense of organisations outside their control in order to maintain their authority. Very little difference between the Chinese Communist Party and the current Morrison-led Liberal National Party in terms of the laws which they are putting in place to eliminate opposition and ensure that the individual has no rights against as far as the arbitrary exercise of state power is concerned. If you think I'm kidding, and I talk about this constantly, and my next YouTube presentation will be about this, and I aim to hold it outside the Federal Police Headquarters in Melbourne. But it's very simple. We have had laws which have been introduced in this country which could not be introduced in the United States of America or Britain. Irrespective of whether Trump or Johnson you know, are the leaders of these countries, we have laws which have been introduced by the Morrison government which no other Western democracy or social democracy or Western parliamentary democracy, whatever you like to call it, would dare to introduce because of constitutional protections. Even in the United Kingdom where there's no written constitution, there are protections. In Australia, we have a constitution which provides us no protection from the arbitrary exercise of state power. Not even, you know, nipple protectors or something to put over our scrotum. Nothing. Completely naked in front of the fully armed, militarised state. Now, obviously, you think I've basically lost my marbles. But let's go through a bit of legislation which has come through because of the terrorist threat. And as I keep saying on this program, 
the greatest supporters of the state are terrorists. The state loves terrorists. If they're not there, it has to manufacture terrorists. You know, manufacture, you know, these union heavy dudes, you know, boogie men and women. It manufactures them. It loves terrorists. It gives it a justification for its existence to protect us from this terrorist nebulous threat. I'll give you an example of a bit of the legislation which exists in this country, which, as journalists have just found out, can be enacted at any time. Because, as I said, the locus of power is moving from the one percenters from Parliament into the security apparatus in this country. As we see in many many dictatorships around the country. And you can have a parliamentary dictatorship if there is no personal freedom. For example, the Attorney-General may decide that public interest before corporate interest poses a threat to the country. The threat isn't defined. It can be an economic threat, it can be a physical threat, it can be an existential threat. And the Attorney-General has the power to dissolve any organisation he or she thinks may pose a threat to the security of this country. And that doesn't mean a physical threat, but maybe an economic threat. Any. And if people continue to be members of that organisation, they can be jailed for up to 25 years. And if they support that organisation, they can be jailed for up to 25 years. If they raise money for that organisation, they can be jailed for up to 25 years. No definition of what a threat is. Then we've seen the militarisation of state and federal police around this country. Why has it been militarised? Do we face some existential threat? No. It's because they can see that in the future there may be a threat because of the growing inequality in our community, the growing dissatisfaction with the parliamentary system, the growing dissatisfaction with capitalism as a mechanism by which to distribute wealth and create wealth. I mean, it's no accident that the suicide rate in this, ca- in this country is rising over 3,000 people last year, 65,000 attempted suicides, mental illness on the way up, the amount of antidepressants which are prescribed on the way up, anxiety on the way up, not just amongst the elderly, but little children who face these extraordinary pressures in this 24-hour economy, in inverted commas, 24-hour world. What a a joke. I mean, we're not some isolated organism. I'm not an isolated organism sitting in a studio talking to myself and four blank walls. Well, the walls aren't actually blank. There's all these bloody notices on them, but that's a different story. But I am part of a community. You are part of a community. Some people aren't. They're so socially isolated because of the internet revolution that they're part of nothing. But most of us are part of some type of community. We are social animals. We have evolved as social animals. What has given us our strength is not our ability to compete against our fellow human beings, What has given us our strength is our ability to cooperate and exploit everything outside our community. 
It's that cooperation which gives us that edge in the evolutionary struggle. So getting back to what I was saying, so so if the if the Home Affairs Minister has the power to ban any citizen from returning home for up to two years because he thinks they may pose a security risk to the nation and the Attorney-General can ban any organisation he or she likes because they believe or suspect it may pose an economic or security threat to the nation. How can it get any worse? Well, it gets any worse. gets worse. You can be arbitrarily detained in this country for up to 14 days and nobody knows anything about it. And if you refuse to answer questions, remember that I could be a major drug importer. I could import tonnes of cocaine and methyl app or whatever it's called. You know, I could put tonnes of it. And I have the right to remain silent. If I'm arbitrarily, secretly detained and I refuse to answer questions, I can be jailed for up to five years for refusing to answer questions. And I can be arbitrarily detained because I inadvertently may have information that may assist the authorities in their investigations. I've done nothing wrong. I didn't answer questions. Bang, five years in jail. How about if you're a trade unionist? If you're a member of the CFMEU, Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime, Energy Unions, Energy and Forestry Unions. You refuse to answer questions in their star chamber. You can be jailed because you're a unionist. Obviously, you're a potential terrorist. It gets better. You can be jailed for up to 25 years for taking part in an occupation. It can be as peaceful as you like. But the fact that you've transgressed on private property... And look at the new laws that are coming in New South Wales as far as animal activists are concerned. Wonderful, isn't it? Any tier of government can pass almost any legislation it likes... Because we as individuals have no constitutional protections. That's why you can pass megadata laws in Australia, which see journalists, you know, hounded by Australia's secret service agencies, and there's tons of them, not just one, tons of them. And do you know that an Australian secret service agency can actually break in to your apartment or your home? your cave or your hovel and actually alter your computer without having to tell you. Don't even need a warrant. Just extraordinary. And most of these things, you don't need a warrant. You tick a box, tick a box, tick a box, tick a box, tick a box. Bingo. So why bother? I can hear you say, why bother? Because although this is an existential threat today, and these laws are hardly ever used today, they are in the box. They are there to deal with people like you and me 
who want to make significant economic reforms, significant parliamentary reforms, significant changes in our society which will result in a better community where power is shared and wealth is shared. That's what this struggle is about. And while we are about while we can still open our mouths, we need to open our mouths and we need to tell people what these laws mean. Now you may think I'm totally deluded. I should be on an order of some type and get my injection every three to four weeks. Well, I wish I was. I wish I was deluded. I wish I was wrong. But I'm not. Look at the appropriate laws. Look at how wide they are. Look at how they're designed to criminalise dissent. They've criminalised legitimate trade union activity like boycotts and strikes. Now they're criminalising the media. Their mates in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, they are criminalising their little media mates. And next, it'll be you. That's right. You put your head above the parapet, you'll have it shot off. And why? Because we have collectively allowed this to happen. And the last federal election was a salient lesson in the politics of fear. Now, to me, Trump's a buffoon. Boris Johnson, another buffoon. They're buffoons that the system will curtail. They do have constitutional protections. They can have buffoons. The buffoons can carry on and they can be re-elected. But there are protections. In Australia, the Morrison-led government is evil. And I'm not talking about evil in terms of some existential evil, some biblical evil, some Quranic evil, some Torah evil. I'm talking about real evil. People using the state the power of the state and the state basically has a monopoly on the use of violence. That's where its powers comes from. People using the state to curtail and remove freedoms, common law freedoms and rights which we have enjoyed for hundreds of years. This is what's happening in this country today. It is at the vanguard, at the very front of the destruction of the parliamentary system. They tell us they need to remove our freedoms to protect our freedoms. It's the other way around. So we are in a particularly difficult situation we face. We'll be tolerated while we're insignificant when people just shrug their shoulders and carry on with their day-to-day lives. But once that sleeping 
giant is awakened, the laws are there in place to try to tie that giant down back. And the giant is the Australian people. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Encourage you to go to the uh, YouTube site, Public Interests Before Corporate Interests. Have a look. I think this week's uh, subject will be about increasing uh, state power, the new focus of power, the uh, Federal Police. Well, they're only as powerful as the Parliament makes them. If you'd like to uh, leave a number, if you'd like to join PIBC, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, go to the website, PIBCI, pibci.net, download the application form, pibci.net. If you hate computers, and I don't blame you, waste of time, you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave a message on 0439395489. I will get back to you. 0439395489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute's site, anarchistmedia.org. Facebook pages galore. Joseph Toscano. Become a friend. I need a friend. I need lots of friends at the minute. Become a friend. Not that it matters. doesn't really matter if you have a friend or not. Supporter, yes, friend, no. You can uh, look at the Facebook pages. Uh, public interests before corporate interests. You can go to defend and extend public housing. You can go to public housing, everybody's business. And Toscano for the public. I've got a little person here telling me what to say. They've actually come into the studio. I'm surrounded. They're looking at me. I'm actually hallucinating this time. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And remember, keep a smile in on your face while you're outfoxing the state. That's right, outfoxing the state. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of these wonderful people, the Community Radio Network next week. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has come out of the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, that podcast, 3cr.org. .au. Obviously, the program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au as well as across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Listening to the Anarchist World this week, next week. My name's Joseph Toscano. Give us a call. Join Pipsy. Fight back. Let's get on with it. Four, three, two, one. The moon. Evil minds that plot destruction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.